0: Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this show on Tuesday, November 26, 2019, which is a couple of days after Frozen 2 has completed its first weekend in domestic release. So, $127 million in domestic ticket sales, um, which is interesting. A lot of entertainment writers are calling a real record breaker, but not Drew Taylor. And why is that true?
1: Well, you know, I just take issue with the fact that we are not including John Favreau's The Lion King as an animated film whose opening weekend was bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, it made $191 million domestically. Um, so, you know, I, I just I think that we should include that. I mean, it is completely animated. It's there's no even performance capture
0: mm-hmm. in there.
1: So I don't know why we're not including that in the list of animated films.
0: But well, what kind of muddies the water here? Isn't Disney itself grouping John Favreau's, you know, photorealistic Lion King as a live action film? I mean,
1: yeah, it's, it, they didn't submit it for the best animated feature Oscar category this year, and they are calling it the live action thing an aesthetic distinction, which. <laughs> I, guess, I mean, okay. I guess that's fine. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, there are certainly live-action movies that you can describe as being very cartoony, so mm-hmm. I guess that, that works. But yeah, it's it's very weird.
0: No, I agree. I agree. Uh, by the way, I finally got to see this movie on the plane down to Orlando last week, and I have to admit, it was impressive. I, I liked the fun little changes, like, uh, what, swapping out the Hawaiian war chant for Be Our Guest and uh beefing up uh, Zazu's role but I, but that's that was largely because they had John Oliver in that part right yes i thought he was great you know uh, No, no, it, it, it took me wrong it 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 was good i just don't i'm not entirely sure it was necessary uh you know but you know, face it. Disney has one point six five billion reasons to disagree with me. You know, That's true. Um, but but ironically enough, this makes me think of the Lady and the Tramp redo that live action film that was one of the primary focuses of the initial promotional push for Disney Plus, the subscription streaming service. Yeah, um, but the company's grouping that. Also is a live action film Which I get Because it was in fact Live action You know the, the, Yeah the CG was what Just mostly used for uh, mouth movements and the dogs and, and, and no
1: well. well they actually swap out the dogs entirely for CGI models of the dogs it's not it's not like a babe scenario where it's just moving the lips they actually swap them out which if you didn't pick up on that Jim means that they wow. really succeeded in their in their uh, work there yeah
0: well you see this is the thing I have not yet watched this though oh my god I, I'm sorry I've, I've seen The Mandalorian all three chapters of that I've seen all three chapters of uh Leslie Iwerks' amazing imagineering story documentary series.
1: Ooh, I watched I watched part four last night, Jim. Get ready for that.
0: Really? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Can, can't wait. Uh, meanwhile, back to Frozen 2. Nancy and I went on opening day. We went as civilians. You know, normally I try to catch an early press screening, but we were there on opening day. God help us, Drew. We were there for the ten thirty screening. What was fascinating about going to see this, like a, a normal ticket buying American, is I then had to sit through the eight trailers that ran in front of this thing. Six of them for, were for animated films. Uh, you know, there was one for a feature that you know features a lot of CG and a lot of effects work. Maybe you've heard of it. You know, Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. Uh, yep. The only one that was primarily uh, live uh, action—I mean, totally live uh, action—was the uh, the Little Woman remake that's coming out in December. uh, Yeah, I think you—you said you really, really enjoyed.
1: I loved it. It's really great. And we were, you know, talking off air about how it was shot in Concord, Massachusetts, which was so close to where you were.
0: Yeah, yeah. My family literally lives one town over. In fact, that was what was so bizarre about sitting there watching the trailer, going. I know that building. I know that building. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, I was just there for a wedding, so mm-hmm. it was very weird to see it on, on screen in olden times, even mm. older than when you were there, Jim.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, <so> old man <laughs> hill. So, yeah. um, I, But it, the interesting thing in the pile of trailers that they showed uh, was the brand-new Spies in Disguise trailer. And it's interesting, each trailer they do for this gets better and stronger. Um but what fascinated me was on, in this particular trailer, Reba McIntyre was all over this thing. You know that the character she voices, which I guess is Joy Jenkins, who is the the head of the spy agency that Will Smith's Lance Sterling character works for, and right. Uh, but but again, you know, which kind of fascinated me is that. You remember, mid July was when they announced that they were bringing Reba McIntyre to you know, In fact, I, I've been looking, I've been trying to get the name of the actress who originally voiced Joy Jenkins, and I can't find it. <laughs> you know this whole thing. You know that she came in and had to do all this work inside of six months, it just reminded me of. You know, remember back in two thousand thirteen, the whole uh, what Despicable Me. Two thing where what was it yes six weeks out from no excuse me two months out from uh the release of that film in uh i want to say july of uh, 2013 al pacino who'd been uh, he'd been signed to voice eduardo the villain of that film back in february 2012 and there was there was some sort of falling out uh and he was suddenly off the production and here here comes benjamin brad who you were saying we were talking off air about this? That what's impressive about he came in and voiced all of that inside of six weeks, and but he had to work to finished animation, right?
1: Yeah, he had to lip sync to the animation that was already finished, which is pretty amazing and speaks to his professionalism for him to get in there, get it done with such crazy limitations and
0: you can't really tell when you watch the final movie no not at all not at all and again it, you know it's that, a good note disrespect to, to ms mcintyre with her six months of work but to do that in six weeks you know and i mean to get it done in time to then have this thing ready to begin the two weeks of, of press junketing and you know all of that stuff it's like ugh, i i can't even begin to imagine by the way, we were just talking about Will Smith and the voice work he does for Spies in Disguise, but uh, we previously done, you know, uh, talked on a couple of shows about uh, Gemini Man, you know, the, that, that Paramount Pictures release that started off as a, you know, what decades ago at Disney mm-hmm. it was supposed to be this, you know, this this cutting edge film that was going to show off what. Disney's uh, secret lab uh, that, that their in-house effects house was going to be able to accomplish and again we were talking out here about this that nobody actually got to see this movie the way Ang Lee intended, right?
1: Yes, he intended it to be shown in 4K,
0: mm-hmm.
1: 3D, 120 frames per second. Mm-hmm. And the closest you could get to seeing that was 2K, 120 frames per second, 3D,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which was at one theater in Los Angeles, the Century City AMC. I did not get there. I don't believe the screening I was invited to was there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's just amazing that he made this movie in a way that no one could even watch mm-hmm. properly. You know, I don't know. It's It's bizarre
0: well that's that's a tough thing of trying to be a pioneer
1: well it's, <laughs> he's hurting badly because of it because woo, boy,
0: yeah okay, so what it costs I, that's I understand it this thing it costs close to what a hundred and a oh no hundred and thirty eight million dollars to make and only made forty eight million during his entire domestic run <laughs> that's tough, yeah um
1: Disney's probably saying, thank God we <laughs> let that one slip away. Also, why would they hire the only actor who has not aged in 25 years? I will never understand that.
0: But, you know. That, that's, that is an excellent point of view. You know um, what I mean? <laughs> no, 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 you're right. You're right. Okay. Um, well, while we're talking about the CG version of, of, of a young Will Smith. Have you seen these stories about finding Jack? That that what the Vietnam War era movie that they're, they're looking to make with a, a CG version of James Dean? Which, yes. Which, uh, what what are our thoughts about this?
1: Um, you know, I think it's it's pretty ghoulish, mm-hmm. but you know, there have been things like this before. I mean, you and I were talking off the air about Roger Rabbit and how. Yeah. Robert Zemeckis did this amazing episode of Tales from the Crypt where he kind of brought back Humphrey Bogart. Mm -hmm. Um, I bring this episode up a lot, and not a lot of people remember it, but Mm -hmm. it was pretty cutting edge at the time because he was sort of playing around with the technology that he used in Forrest Gump to bring back, you know, dead presidents and Mm -hmm. stuff like that, so... I feel like that's in a different category, though, than what they're trying to do here because it sounds like he's actually a co-star of this movie.
0: Yeah, and but what what's really bizarre – in fact, I, I'm going to recommend to folks there's an article that LA Magazine did back in December uh, 2004. It's called Grateful Dead. And uh, do yourself a favor. Google this thing. Chase it down because it talks about – the Curtis Management Group, uh, CGM, which, according to this LA Magazine piece, is basically the William Morris Agency for Dead People. Um, at that time, they had the rights to 200 dead celebrities. And uh, you have to imagine that it's it's got to be lots more people now. But again, it's interesting you bring up. That uh, you know Zemeckis episode of Tales of the Crypt because he would have had to have gone to CGM to license the right to Humphrey Bogart because they had the rights from the Bogart, the Bogart family uh, to, to, to Humphrey. Likewise, Marilyn Monroe, W.C. Fields, Lagozi. Lugosi, um, and and look, you know, I you're right that the phrase that a lot of people use in a situation like this is ghoulish. In fact, what was it? When Rogue One, a Star Wars story came out, uh, what, two years ago, three years ago? And they had that CG version of, of Peter Cushing you know, it was cool to see Grand Moff Tarkin again. But on the other hand, you know, it's just, you know, Peter Cushing hasn't been with us for a long time. Yeah. Um, uh, but-
1: I feel like that was that was more of a, an ILM creation, though, mm-hmm. too. I mean, there was some artistry into that character. It wasn't like a, I don't know, it wasn't like a human being, you no, know, no, no, photocopied no, no. But, but- into real life.
0: You and I both remember how they, they were talking about that, that at the time. And, you know, do <laughs> remember, you know, whenever you talk with anybody about the, the effects you know, that we use for the Peter Cushion recreating, you know, you learn more than you ever wanted to know about subsurface scattering, you know, just sort of like, you know, the notion of what it is that makes human skin look like human skin. Oh,
1: my God. I mean, that reminds me, I sat through this presentation that almost put me to sleep about mm-hmm. Gemini Man just a few months ago, mm-hmm. where they were talking about. How because of the resolution levels, Mm -hmm. they had to make the skin even more believable and putting in pores and Mm -hmm. all this stuff. And it was like, oh, my God, this is – about as many people that listened to that talk went to see the movie, I guess. So, But, you know, whatever. (laughs) So mean. Uh,
0: But but, but at the same time, you know, uh, yeah, okay, So it's a touch ghoulish. But I have to say there are projects, never made films in Hollywood history that – I look to, and it's like, man, you could use what they did today with Will Smith to finally make those films. I mean, case in point, A Day at the United Nations. And this, again, as somebody who who loves movie comedy, is, is, is a project that uh, one of the more compelling what-if things I, I've ever come across. And basically the backstory here is back in 1960, Billy Wilder is in New York City shooting The Apartment. And as he's shooting that darkly funny office romance with Jack Lemmon, Shirley MacLaine and Fred McMurray, Wilder is living right across the street from the United Nations. And as he's walking back and forth to work each day, he's seeing all of these incredibly serious uh, diplomats who are are climbing in and out of mag, uh, limousines and, you know, getting in each other's way. And they they, they all look identical with their you know, their umbrellas and their hats and their their, their dark overcoats. And and Billy looks at this and's like, oh, man, this setting is ripe for a satirical comedy. So one day he's on the set and he turns to his longtime writing partner, A.I.L. Diamond, and says, do you think it would be funny to set a film at the United Nations starring the Marx Brothers? And... Diamond, who's this longtime fan of Harpo, Chico, and Groucho, loves this idea. So he and he and Billy quickly work up a forty-page treatment for a proposed feature film, uh, which is supposed to be done in the style of the, the Marx Brothers classics, nineteen thirty-three Duck Soup, and nineteen thirty-five The Night at the Opera. Um, they send the treatment to the Marx Brothers. Groucho loves it. Likewise, his his two brothers, you know, love the idea as well. Um, so the project gets officially announced in November of 1960 is Billy's next movie. But then Harpo, who's 72 at the time, uh, has a heart attack while he's rehearsing a TV special. And then while he's recovering, Chico, who'd been battling hard- hardening of the arteries for years, uh, passes away the, the following year, in, in October of 1961, at the age of 74. And and that's it. You know, the, once Chico's gone, there's really, you know, no way to do, a, you know, a Marx Brothers movie without Chico. So, um and and so it never gets produced. It goes back in, into the files. But for me to look at you know what technology can do today to look at a Will Smith, a young Will Smith with all of those realistic pores, um, I you know I just there's a part of me it's like you know all right maybe it'd be a little ghoulish but I I still want to see the Marx Brothers running around the UN you know and and right but I guess again to circle back to Finding Jack and this. CG version of James Dean. I guess the real question here isn't necessarily can we do this, but should we do this? Um, right. But conversely, we just had that absolutely killer trailer for Call of the Wild Drop, um, and you know I, I'm ready right now to to give money to to Fox again. This thing isn't even hit theaters till February twenty f- first of next year. But the dog in this thing looks great, and yes, and but you again—is this another Lady in the Tramp situation where we swap out real dogs for CG dogs?
1: No, the dog is completely CG um, in the movie, and it was actually performance captured on a dog called Buck, who <laughs> looks, ex- which is amazing, or Buck Lee, I think is the name of the dog, and the the buck, the dog's name is Buck in the movie, mm-hmm. and it looks exactly like this dog. It's so cute, and. Um, We need to tell people that this is the first live-action feature, Mm -hmm. mostly live-action feature, directed by um, Chris Sanders, Sanders. who directed How to Train Your Dragon, The Croods, Lilo, and Stitch, and before that was one of Disney's top story artists. I mean, you can tell a Chris Sanders storyboard Mm -hmm. instantly by looking at it. Mm -hmm. Um, He did great work for Lion King and Beauty and the Beast and Mm -hmm. Mulan. and Mm -hmm. So it's very exciting to see him in live-action, and the movie looks amazing.
0: I I agree. I totally agree. I just cannot wait— to see this project, uh, that said, I'm kind of hoping, given that we've we've had a pretty steady streak here of of Fox films released by Disney that haven't connected really with audiences yet. Uh, I'd really like to be the, to have this one break out to be the one that that gets through and connects an audience because again, it just looks tremendous.
1: If anybody can sell a movie about dogs. It's Disney, let's be honest. So,
0: <laughs> This is true. This is know. true.
1: Are okay. you excited about Pick? Did you see the Pick of the Litter trailer too on Disney Plus about seeing eye dogs?
0: No. Okay. Now, you see, my plan is to sit down the day after Thanksgiving and just, you know, all of this. Uh, I haven't seen Noelle yet. Uh, Probably for it? the better, but. You know. <laughs> I, and I'd likewise, have not seen the the, the Lady and the Tramp uh, redo yet. Uh, but Pick of the Litter, um, Yes, okay.
1: Check out the trailer; it's not out yet, but I think it's out next month. But okay, have oh, you yeah, have I, you been watching the Forky Ask a question?
0: Iconically, what is money? Okay, uh, but you know, again, haven't circled around to the new ones. Like I said, you know, this. I got this podcast thing I got to do. So I know, I know. Put-
1: well, the the new episode, they actually replaced Timothy Dalton as Mr. Pickle which no. I think is the first. The first Toy Story anything where he's not voicing the character, which was incredibly distracting, but it's a great episode. It's what is art
0: is the question. I am not happy to hear this. Um, Well, all right. speaking of the Disney side of the fence, uh, Disney Channel just this past weekend during Star Wars Resistance ran a killer ad – for Owl House, uh, and by the way, uh, did, did some some research today, and I guess this Dana Terrace-created animated series is going to officially debut in the Disney Channel on January 10th of next year. So, uh, can't wait to see that, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Alex Hirsch is doing a voice for the show, right? Sure.
1: Yes, he voices the little demon with the, the skeleton mm-hmm. head, yeah.
0: Okay, well, it's not Grunkle Stan, but I'll take it. Um... <laughs> Okay. Uh, meanwhile, Cartoon Network went another way with their promotion of Infinity Train. I guess book two of this animated anthology series is supposed to begin running around that cable channel sometime in 2020. But if you if you want to learn more about the continuation of this acclaimed series, you first have to go... To the official Infinity Train website, you then must solve that site's new Claw Machine game, which debuted this past Friday, November 22nd, and only once you solve this puzzle do you then get to see the trailer for Book 2 of Infinity Train, and... Let me just say is fine-tuning designated old fart. Yep, that's me, old man Hill. Um, Look, you know, making this the only way that I can see the trailer for the continuation of Infinity Train pretty much guarantees that I will never see this trailer. I mean, honestly, it's all I can do these days to remember my password for Netflix. Um,
1: (laughs) I'm sorry, Jim.
0: I, I wish I was there to help you. I did, Please, you know, put something up in the fridge. You know, it's, it's something I could I write down to remember these things. Uh, by the way, speaking of Netflix, uh, Drew, you, were you as surprised as I was last week when news broke about Sean the Sheep Farmageddon?
1: Um, well, I wasn't – maybe wasn't as surprised as mm-hmm. you just because I know that they are – Sean the Sheep, the sequel, is coming out on Netflix. but. Mm-hmm. It hasn't done a lot of business mm-hmm. uh, internationally. Mm-hmm. Um, and Netflix and Ardman have a relationship. They've got a brand new Christmas special that's going to be on in 2020 that I'm very much looking forward to. That's Robin um, Robin, Robin, isn't it? Robin Robin, yeah, yeah. by a couple mm-hmm. of younger Ardman mm-hmm. animators. So. You know, it made sense to me. I mean, I'm just happy we're gonna finally see it. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody else has seen it, but America has been elusive. I mean, I think it's be- it's a much better option than just putting it on DVD and seeing it rot in some discount bin at Walmart or something. you well, know, so
0: I, I get that but but seriously, early this fall, I saw the trailer for Fararmagedon while I was in a theater and and this was going to be opening this December. In the States and three days ago, or something at this point, four days ago, you know, the news about this Netflix deal breaks and how it's now going to air early in 2020 on that subscription streaming service. And it's like, that's really close to the North American theatrical release. I mean, I just, I, I, I would love to have been in the room when they made, you know, the folks at are made what had to be a really tough call.
1: Right. I mean, are you ready for it? Are you excited?
0: Well, again, I, I I've always loved what Arvin does. I, I've been a fan of theirs since a grand day out. You know, the, the, even the-
1: even Flushed Away.
0: <laughs> well, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to get invited to DreamWorks Animation for an evening where they were showing off. You know, a lot of the early footage that was done for uh, for Flushed Away. And that was when he had, you know, the uh, the Hugh Jackman character had two, uh, do, do you remember the two little hamster butlers that lived with him? Yes. Yeah, I mean, there, there were whole, and this was finished animation. This was amazing stuff that, um, yeah, I mean, it, that's the thing. If you talk with the folks about Ed Ardman about Flushed Away and, that was the film where Jeffrey Katzenberg really got involved and really started making story changes. And uh, that's kind of why Crude Awakenings, the stop-motion Aardman version of that story, the one that John Cleese wrote, never got produced. Uh, yeah, You know, I mean, they, they – they chose to walk away rather than continue to work under conditions like that. So, yeah, i mean, gonna you know, flushed away. Flushed away has some fun stuff in it. it. It's I agree. You know, it's it's worth it alone for the you know, when the clownfish appears. You know, uh, have you seen my mom? <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> so yes, uh, all yes. right. Anyway, to get back to Netflix, uh, just this past weekend, got to see Claws, and I have wanted to see this hand-drawn film I, uh, during the one week that claws was out in theaters, uh, but we, it just wasn't possible uh, up here in New England. I gotta say, it's, it's kind of intriguing that Frozen 2 and Claus basically arrive in the marketplace at almost the exact time, because there's a teeny tiny bit of overlap between these two productions. I mean, they they've both got magical snow effects and there's some use of the same color palette. Um, but, but I, I mean, what are your thoughts on Frozen 2?
1: I mean, I really liked it. We, I think we talked a little bit about it last time. But mm-hmm. um, I still, the story is pretty hard to untangle.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. I, I I think you and I were were talking off air about, if you remember from the very first teaser trailer, there are images, there's shots in that that never showed up in the finished film. Like for example, there's this one quick shot of a young boy who's basically being lifted aloft and sort of bounced in the air by uh, leaves blowing around. So I, I'm assuming it's gale, the you know the 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 wind spirit so to speak. And there's also a, a, a little girl from the enchanted forest uh, or the forbidden wood, whatever they call it, and that, that you know sort of rang alongside the boy as he's being bounced through the air. So I have to assume. That's the mom and that's the dad, you know? Uh, Oh,
1: interesting. Yeah, I didn't even – I don't remember these images. I got to go back and watch it again.
0: Yeah, and that trailer also ends with this really dramatic image of your – the camera's coming in quick behind – Kristoff and Elsa and Anna, and as it, as the camera gets in close. Anna just sort of reaches, you know, I think grabs Kristoff's sword and just sort of, you know, sort of turns and, and moves menacingly toward the camera. I mean, it's a really dramatic image, and uh, you know, I mean, you you get that 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 shot of what Elsa breaking off an, an icy sword from those uh, what those sculptures that are caused by water having memory, but I, I just get the sense that you know as they cut. Closer to the release date, um, yeah, there were just, there was a lot of story that didn't necessarily make sense or, or, or more to the point that was se- seemed unnecessary, you know, that that's just sort of like, eh, you know, we don't really need to get into that, you know, the, the, the visuals will carry us here. And, and let's face it, it's a beautiful looking movie. Uh, yeah,
1: it, it's really stunning.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, solidly, you know, well produced, uh, and, and a genuinely ambitious sequel to the, to the 2013 original. And, but you know, when you talk about Disney, you have to talk about sort of the retail end of things. And the Wall Street Journal just ran an article on Saturday, which was talking about. The interesting thing is that Mattel had the rights to the original Frozen, and in fact. Uh, they got caught flat-footed. They 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 weren't ready for when Frozen became a phenomenon. Whereas Hasbro uh, got the contract for Disney's toys starting in 2016, and they have an eighteen-month-long program in place. Drew, you know, the first wave of the stuff arrived in stores in October, and there is there is a plan going forward. You know, all the way through to I guess when frozen two finally shows up on like Freeform. you know, that, that for for 18 months, there are plans in regard to which, you know, which items hit store shelves and how they do so. And, you know, that in fact that the very next window they're talking about in this article is when the movie becomes available digitally and what they'll be doing in stores to support that. Um, On the other hand, I, I, you know, I, I have to say that I, you know, I, been prowling around my local target and that sort of thing. I haven't seen anything for claws and which is kind of a shame because it's, it's a genuinely charming movie.
1: Yeah, I don't know what happened with the consumer products on that one. Mm-hmm. There is an art of book, which I'm looking to pick up. But, yeah, um,
0: uh, yeah the,
1: there is nothing really else besides that, is
0: there? No, and in fact, the the clause, the art of the movie book, uh, at least according to my notes here, uh, that won't even show up till December 10th. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, which is which is late, you know, or at least as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I've got... I have never seen hand-drawn animation look like this before, and uh, that coupled with a, a genuinely stellar voice cast. I mean, Jason uh, Schwartzman is Jasper, Jakey Simmons is Claus. I, and uh, by the way, what did you think of Rashida Jones as Alva, the schoolteacher? Um, I
1: thought she was great, and I think it's really interesting that this comes out. In the same year that her version of Toy Story Four was supposed to come out,
0: there we go. (laughs) I have to admit, when I saw that she was the voice of the school teacher, it's like that. This is somebody I'd love to sit down with because, again, remember, you know, last year in the middle of John Lasseter being sort of disinvited to be, you know, uh, to be at Disney, uh, she came out and actually talked about leaving. Pixar and and made it very clear that, you know, it wasn't related to anything necessarily that John had done, but it was more the culture that, you know, the, the, yes. the, the whole boys club thing up there. And um, there's some
1: great stuff about that in the um – in that women of animation book that just came out okay. that you just sent me
0: that yes. we still need to talk about, which we still need to talk about. Queens
1: of animation, yes, and, we, will, we will talk about that in future.
0: Okay, speaking of women in animation, gotta say I love Joan Cusack. It's Mrs. Crumb. Likewise, Will Sasso is Mr. Ellingbo. Um, I I missed his his lemon vines. You ever see those? Yes, they were insane. <laughs> they were, but I, but I have to say, you know, honestly. Out of all the characters in this thing, I, 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 if I had to pick a favorite, it would really be tough to choose between either the little Sammy girl who's, you know, it's like a Mary Blair drawing brought to life. I mean, she's so yes. amazing. Uh, likewise, the, the Claus character. I mean, I, I think you were talking about, you know, how many animated things have we seen with, with Santa Claus and we've yep. never seen a design like this before.
1: No, it's an amazing design. Just mm-hmm. the his dimensionality. Mm-hmm. They are They did something with the eyes of these characters that's really interesting, where they're either CG or they have some kind of CG mm-hmm. sheen on them. But you always see the kind of light in the character's eyes. It's really amazing. Like uh, uh, Sergio Pablos, mm-hmm. we have to talk about him, yeah. what he's done.
0: I've been a huge fan of him since, since Doppler, you know. Um. Yeah, he
1: worked on a bunch of Disney animated movies. He's also like this incredible story guy who create, came up with the story for despicable me and smallfoot mm-hmm. and he's just like this unsung hero in animation and and as you pointed you know out the doppler the J- the jason schwartzman character looks a lot like doppler
0: to me that's actually a strength not a weakness you know it's just, <laughs> I, I, I just i love that that animation but uh, speaking of which it, again it's a it's a great script. I mean, face it, we've had a lot of Santa Claus origin stories over the years. And again, I don't want to give too much away here, but, but Sergio made a really ballsy choice when it came to Claus's origin story. It re I, I think it really deepens the character. I think it really makes the film story that much more meaningful, that much more emotional. Um, but at the same time, this, the, 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 the humor in this thing is so outrageous at times, like the battle bell, uh, you know, the ongoing feud in Smearingsburg or whatever it's it, called. Yeah,
1: it's a it's a lot darker than I expected, and, and I haven't I haven't seen the new Adams Family. And did you actually go see it?
0: I again, I have my art of book. Okay. I have not okay. seen the
1: movie. It, but it felt like it felt like some very Charles Adams kind of humor with the two, with the warring kind of sides I, I of the scene.
0: But my other favorite character out of this thing is Mogens, you know, the ferryman that Norm Macdonald voices. <laughs> that is that is such a great character, and how he's he's constantly commenting in the action or clearly enjoying inciting, you know, what poor Jesper is is about to to go through. Yeah, he's great. He's absolutely great. All right, we'll tell you what, folks. Seriously, if you are looking for something genuinely fun to do with the family uh, after Thanksgiving dinner, I, I, I can think of nothing better than than to, you know firing up Netflix and then you know sitting down and watching Claws. Uh, and speaking of Thanksgiving, when Drew and I get back from this break, we're going to talk about how going to see animated films, you know, over the long Thanksgiving weekend uh, became a thing here in the states. And we're back. Um, Okay, we were going to talk animation, Thanksgiving, which is kind of ironic because, to be honest, Frozen 2 actually deviated from what has now become the historic pattern for Walt Disney Animation Studios in regard to uh, its releases. Uh, The studio decided to put its newest animated feature out literally the week before Thanksgiving, and... Why did they do this with the, the, this new Jennifer Lee, Chris Buck movie? Uh, Wall Street Journal ran a story on this topic yesterday. And okay. here's, here's the crucial quote. Um, Frozen 2 will likely enjoy robust earnings again next weekend. And remember, we talked about at the top of the show how it made uh, $127 million during its uh, first week weekend of domestic release. And uh, this is because when schools are out over Thanksgiving break said Catherine Taff, the Disney's head of distribution, the studio decided to forego opening the sequel over the holiday weekend, as it did with the original putting it out one weekend ahead was pretty strategic. So we could then get the whole week of Thanksgiving. Um, and uh, yeah, if you, if you look back over the history of, of Walt Disney animation, uh particularly over you know the, the 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 last decade you know starting with with record Ralph in 2012 uh november has been the month that disney you know has taken for its animated features uh some they've opened earlier uh, record ralph was november 2nd uh, likewise big hero 6 was november 7th but typically it is Uh, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. That's when they release Frozen, Moana, Ralph Breaks the Internet. And looking ahead to 2020 and beyond, I mean, uh, literally, uh, Raya and the Last Dragon is scheduled to come out on November 25th, 2020. And then it's literally like a countdown clock for the next three years. It's November 24th, 2021, November 23rd, 2022, November 22nd, 2023 but on the other hand pixar uh pixar has locked in the end of school beginning of summer vacation spot and and that started in 2006 with cars you know and from ratatouille right through to toy story 4 uh you know again they they were all basically in that the third weekend of of june right after school is let out in fact the only two movies Uh, from Pixar over the last couple of years that have deviated from this. Uh, We had The Good Dinosaur in November of 2015, and we had Coco, which also came out in November of uh, 2017. But remember, Drew, it wasn't all that long ago that Pixar owned Thanksgiving. I mean, what was it? Uh, Toy Story came out for Thanksgiving of 1995, uh, Bug's Life... Came out again Thanksgiving nineteen ninety eight, and then Toy Story two November ninety nine, and then Monsters Inc. November of two thousand one. Um, so how did Disney and Pixar wind up sw- switching spots? The interesting part of this story is uh, sort of boardroom stuff. That uh, do you remember back in what th- that was two thousand two? Steve jobs started to make noise about how he wanted, I guess Disney and, and Pixar were coming to the end of their seven picture deal. And that if they were, Pixar was going to renew with Disney, uh, they wanted basically the deal that George Lucas had with uh, 20th century Fox for the prequels, which meant that Disney would only get a distribution fee from the Pixar movies and that Pixar would keep all of the profits. um, and, and Eisner hated this idea, uh, but he thought he had a way to sort of put Steve Jobs, you know, sort of rock him back on his heels. And that was because uh, at, at this point, Finding Nemo was in kind of rough shape. This was still uh, during the the version of the film when, when Andrew Stanton, it was all, you know, these sort of like post-traumatic stress flashbacks of, of Marlin where you, you'd get little snippets of the Barracuda attack and, uh, and you know, his wife disappearing and that sort of thing. It was only, what, two-thirds of the way through the movie you learned what happened to his family?
1: Yeah, and Stanton went back to this horrible idea for uh, John Carter
0: <laughs> because
1: you don't really know what happens to his family until mm-hmm. about, you know, uh, two-thirds of the way through the movie. I, I think it's it's handled sort of interestingly in John Carter. You know, I'm a big fan of mm-hmm. that movie. But yep. uh, it's, it's just interesting that he returned to that idea.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It, it didn't work in one movie, but by God, he was going to get it through to another one.
0: Uh, well, but what's interesting is Eisner is convinced at this point that Nemo is going to be the first Pixar film to misfire. So he, he basically lays a trap. You know, it's like, hey, you know, how about with Nemo we do something different rather than we – put this one out at Thanksgiving. Why don't we put it out during the summer? It's a movie that's in the ocean, which is close to the beach, and people go to the beach during the summer. And, uh, and you know, so he gets Pixar on board with the idea of switching out of their comfort zone, that Thanksgiving slot, and going with a a May 2003 release. And meanwhile, here's what Eisner, after he convinces Pixar to do this, here's what he says to the Disney board in a memo. Yesterday we saw, that for the second time, the new Pixar movie, Finding Nemo, that comes out next May. This will be a reality check for those guys. It's okay, but nowhere near as good as their previous films. Of course, they think it's great. And, you know, Eisner's thinking was that Nemo comes out, underperforms at the box office, Entertainment press will be all over Pixar talking about their first flop. Uh, you know, jobs will suddenly get nervous and that will put Disney in a much better negotiating position when it comes time to, you know, to renew or, or redo the the the, uh, the Pixar deal when film eight comes along. Um, the only downside to Eisner's plan is Andrew Stanton and company actually fixed, you know, Finding Nemo. Uh, wasn't this when they swapped out Bill Macy for uh, Marlon's voice, and brought in Albert Brooks.
1: Yes, I think that I think the version Eisner is referring to in that memo is the the Bill Macy mm-hmm. version.
0: And and more to the point, they take all of those post traumatic stress flashbacks and and just dude, let's start the story. Let, you know, the first five minutes. Let's 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 get this story out of all out of the way. And um, I, you know, you <laughs> have to say that this is what a good editor can do. A good editor can turn a film around in, you know, I mean, it can, can have the vision, can have the eye, can figure out how to, to really make a good movie. And, and speaking of which, uh, was at my local Barnes & Noble yesterday and picked up a copy of this absolutely amazing book. It's called A Long Time Ago in a Cutty Room Far, Far Away. Uh, this is Paul Hirsch's memoir. And the The subtitle alone makes you want to buy the book. My 50 years editing Hollywood hits, Star Wars, Carrie, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Mission Impossible, and more. Now, Drew, you've actually had the opportunity to talk with Paul a couple of times now because he's come on your great Mission Impossible podcast, Light the Fuse. Yes,
1: Yes, and we're going to go see him again this week, and I can't recommend this book enough, and for animation lovers, you're going to get a lot out of it. You were just talking about um, Gemini Man, and he actually talks about the Secret Lab and about how they (laughs) were falling behind Mm -hmm. on a couple of the things that he worked on. And Mm -hmm. ILM ended up coming and saving the day, both on Mission to Mars and Mighty Joe Young. Mm -hmm. So it's really interesting, and I can't recommend the book enough, so definitely go check it out.
0: Oh, no, absolutely. And just the Star Wars stuff, and there's so much stuff that he personally brought To the table, like I love the story in there where George is talking with him about. Oh, by the way, what do you think of the lightsabers? You know (laughs) that you know I'm thinking of making you know uh, Luke's red, and I'm thinking of making Darth Vader's blue. And he and and it's actually Paul who comes up. Well, you know, in in Christian iconography, you know, if we're we're talking Christ like figures you know, that they're traditionally done in blue colors and more earthly, you know, characters that are done in red. And so it, literally George takes that information and goes, oh, okay, so Darth Vader's, you know, lightsaber will be red and, and Luke's will be blue. And I mean, it's just, it, there are so many great stories oh, in yeah. this thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, for a guy who worked with Brian De Palma 11 times oh. I mean it's it's amazing it's <laughs> right. really an amazing story
0: well the fact that he's above ground afterwards
1: yes that's <laughs> true he worked with a lot of you know hotheads
0: oh and people, yeah uh, yeah you know it, some I great mean, jo- stories
1: about John Hughes I was what to and, yeah. say
0: and, and I love how he solved the puzzle of planes trains and automobiles um,
1: you, you mean by t- uh, by by uh, fixing the ending and or by the by the fact that he shaved off an hour and a half from the three hour and forty five minute long <laughs> running time.
0: Well, there's that, but there's that great story where he talks about looking at hours of footage of steve martin looking at a train window and the, the different faces that steve makes and eventually how he figures to use that to yes. completely restructure the end of the movie no i again i'm sorry we're, we're getting off topic here, we're but. getting off
1: topic but yeah but it's an amazing book it's an how amazing did, book. did you read this whole thing in one night jim i just talked to you yesterday
0: when I, we got well the book. no it's that good i mean it really seriously i i i, you know, I devoured this thing and you know and just, just amazing stories but yeah Anyway, uh okay, so Finding Nemo comes out, it's the biggest hit pictures ever had and it, you know and it totally blows up in Michael Eisner's face. And let's be honest, 2003 was not Michael's greatest year anyway. That was the year when the you know the share he got that what 43% no confidence vote at the the shareholders meeting in Philadelphia and
1: Yeah, you were uh, you were involved in that at all, were you, Jim? <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a story for another time.
1: Okay, okay. okay. Uh,
0: but anyway, long story short, Michael has to give up his title as chairman. He steps down as head of the Walt Disney Company in September of 2005. Uh, and just four months later, here's Disney buying Pixar Animation Studios outright for $7.4 billion. And, and interestingly enough, one of the terms that Steve Jobs set as part of this acquisition was that Pixar, from here on and gets its pick of release dates. And Nemo made a third more than either of the Pixar films that were released on either side of it. And we're talking Monsters, Inc., and we're talking Incredibles. So he was like, oh, all right, that's it. We take the summer slot. And so Disney, uh, you know, winds up getting forced back, you know, and, and, and it's not their choice. They, they end up defaulting with Thanksgiving. And... Uh, And and, the irony is just, you know, you take a step back a couple of years, and here's Disney so fiercely fighting to protect the Thanksgiving release date. Do you remember in 97, when Fox was getting ready to put Anastasia out in theaters, and Disney suddenly announced, hey, limited re-release of The Little Mermaid, only going to be out in theaters for 17 days, and... Coincidentally, you know, those 17 days were a week before Anastasia opened and then the first 10 days that the 20th Century Fox animated film was out in theaters. So they, they effectively drained the box office of, I want to say, $38 million that, that would have obviously gone into Anastasia's coffers. Um, yeah, they, they, that was back when Disney, you know, it got mean, it got personal that the, the second golden age films, you know, came out for Thanksgiving it was a little mermaid at 89 rescue is down under, which I still like a lot, uh, in 1990. And then of course, beauty and the beast and Aladdin. Um, in fact, you know, if all had gone according to plan, the original hand-drawn version of lion King was supposed to have come out, uh, in theaters for Thanksgiving of 1993. But, it drew, you know from from having talked to you know all those folks who who worked on the original Lion King, all of you know the story problems they were having with that one. I mean, they 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 literally had to push the release off to the summer of '94 because it just wasn't ready, uh, you know, for for the you know Thanksgiving of 1993. And again, then of course the irony is, it comes out summer of '94. It makes all of this money, and suddenly here's Disney. Well, okay, let's put all of our animated features. Out in the summer months and during summer blockbuster season, and you know here, you know here's poor Mark Gabriel and Eric Goldberg who are making Pocahontas with an eye toward this is going to be the ultimate Disney Thanksgiving movie. You know, do, do we have you know settlers coming to the new world, interacting with you know Native Americans, and you know this wonderful fall color palette of swirling leaves and that sort of thing, and um, you know that that's. That's the window they're aiming at, and it's like, nope, you're gonna be out in theaters uh summer of nineteen ninety five so um
1: but why were the why were the animated movies in the seventies and eighties so important to be at thanksgiving
0: you know if you if we're talking about things like rescuers down under this is the early early days of the summer block publisher, and i I, I gotta get this right looked folks the last time I told this story, I got it wrong uh, <laughs> okay, so all right, so it's uh, what is it? It's late June, early July of 1975, and Jaws comes out. The First film to sell 100 million dollars worth of tickets, you know. And and again, that that gets everybody's attention. But it's like okay, so but is it that you know a one-time thing, or are people accidentally tripped over a gold mine that this is an interesting place that you can release a film? So jump ahead now to uh, June of 1976, and uh, we have 20th Century Fox, and they have the very first film of the Omen series. And they're like, well, when should we release this? And it's like, well, Universal put out a scary movie uh, you know, in in June of, of last year, and it it seemed to do well. And so well, let's try that. And so that's what they do. They, they put out Omen. In the you know June of 1976, and it mine it it does 48 million dollars, which isn't a hundred million dollars, but that's still a lot of money. And so this puts that that release weekend on the map. And okay, now we jump to June of 77, and <laughs> again, this is this is what I love. In fact, there is I, I have to read this quote out of Paul's book. There is this wonderful thing where he talks about the original Star Wars and his his expectations for the movie. He's working with Paul to cut the movie together. And he, t- he says, look, this is basically a Disney movie. And those movies always make $16 million. You can look it up. The picture is going to cost $10 million to make, so it, it won't turn a profit. But we can actually make some money if we sell some toys based on the characters. You know, I mean, that's, you know... <laughs> That's George Lucas looking at Star Wars if get, as, uh, you know, I, I, I have better on the wrong horse. This is never going to work. Uh, and, and 20th Century Fox felt the exact same way. They were looking at this film and they're like, eh, you know. And, and they had another film that they were prepping for the summer of 77. It was a, a film version of Sidney Sheldon's The Other Side of Midnight. And it's like, eh, geez. Okay, tell you what, let's get George's movie out of the way. Let's release that in late May. Then we'll put that out for the Memorial Day weekend. And you know, and they only put it out initially in 32 theaters, room. Um and and then Insane. you know, uh, and then like three weeks later, you know, they put the other side of midnight out, figuring that at this point. You know, Star Wars will have you know, fallen out of the box office. The theaters, the 32 theaters will be available for The Other Side of Midnight. And here's Disney, you know, just noticing that, okay, look at the money that Jaws made with that release date in 75, and look at the money that Omen made in that exact same release slot in 1976, and nobody's going for it. So, jeez, Let's Drop Rescuers is in there in that exact same slot in 77. And that, in turn, became... Up until we started get the, getting this the second golden age movies from Disney, that was the highest grossing anim, new animated film that Disney had made in decades. It uh, made forty million dollars domestic, and in fact, you know that's why when Eisner came through the door. Uh, he said, Look, we're going to start off running Disney by Paramount rules. So, you know, what we do at Paramount is if you have fil- a hit film, Will you make a sequel. So, you know, what's your highest grossing live action film? And it's like, Well, Mr. Eisner, that would be Mary Poppins. And it's like, Okay, get started on Mary Poppins sequel. Only took them to 2018, but they got it made, Drew. Um, I- <laughs> On the other hand, you know, what's our highest grossing animated film? Well, that would be The Rescuers Down Under. And it's like, well, tell you what, over at Paramount, we just did uh, Crocodile Dundee. Why don't we send those characters to Australia? And that's how we got The Rescuers Down Under. But yeah, I mean, it's just sort of, it was honestly like the one thing that Ron Miller kind of did, you know, that kind of recognized what was going on in the marketplace. And it's like that weekend, let's go for that weekend. And in fact, the, the irony is that, if we jump ahead to 81, this is the slot that the Fox and the Hound ended up in. But to be realistic, Drew, uh, that was a movie that was originally supposed to come out for Christmas. But when Don Bluth walked out the door and took you know half of the animation staff with him in 79, they were like, there's no way we're making Christmas of 1980. You know, you're going to have to push this thing at least six months. And that's how Fox and the Hound wound up in theaters in July of 81. So um, anyway... Long story short, folks. Again, there are a myriad of reasons why Disney, you know, initially was releasing you know, all of its animated features on Thanksgiving until you know Pixar got that slot, and then Pixar, you know, wrestled that away after the acquisition in two thousand six, and you know that's why they are so aggressively hanging on to that slot going forward. I have to ask, though, Drew. Um looking ahead to the fact that is it it's two thousand it, it's next year, two thousand twenty, and then again in in two thousand twenty two, right? That Pixar's doing two films a year, right?
1: Yeah, it's amazing. They are releasing more movies, I think, in the next four years between Pixar and Walt Disney Animation Studios than they have, I think, the previous eight mm-hmm. or something. Like it there are so many movies coming out, but yeah, next year onward in March mm-hmm. and soul in june which is really nuts that they're both in the same season essentially mm-hmm. yeah um it'll be very interesting to see it's sort of like a again it's like a marvel um release schedule where you have you know captain marvel in whatever february or march mm-hmm. and then you have an end game in june or or may and it's just crazy no I, that, I, that kind of
0: I, agree. I don't know and i i have to say looking at Disney Plus, and this new schedule, which was announced with the most recent earnings call, I mean, it goes all the way to, what, uh, 2023, which I think ends with, what, the release of Avatar 3, and um, I, I got to wonder, you know, given what Netflix is doing and you know, things like the The Irishman and, you know, uh, which, by the way, that that's also part of my Thanksgiving plan. I, my brother Peter and I will, will sit down and, and watch that at some point. But I just have to wonder, you know. How much of this is whistling in the dark by 2023 with so many films, things like the Mandalorian, you know, that's appointment television. Now, is it still going to be realistic for Disney to have, you know, a release schedule, you know, where there's, there's 20 or more films going out, you know, Marvel and Pixar and Walt Disney animation studios and, and, you know, all of the Fox projects. Um, just this past week, going to see Frozen at ten thirty in the morning in my my local cinema with you know with the the, the leather seats that go up and you know all that. I just I you know and I, I was sitting there in a half full theater and this this was Disney's most heavily promoted animated film in years and you know the, the first screening. I'm looking at a half empty theater. I, it still did great numbers, but I just got to wonder you know especially. You know, this sort of historic pattern, you know, the, the why would you pay money to go out to the theater to see Frozen 2 when, to be honest, you can fire up Netflix and see an animated film like Claws that's as good, if not better?
1: Right. You know. Yeah. I mean, there's a there's an argument to be made, Jim. Mm. So, yeah. So it's it's a whole new world.
0: No, I agree. I agree. You know, but but. But, again, on the other hand, you know, if you want to look back at, again, some amazing Hollywood history, I just seriously, folks, I cannot say enough good things about uh, Paul Hirsch's memoir. And are you going to get to talk with him for your next uh, – um, Yeah, episode? we're going
1: over tomorrow. Yeah, so uh, those episodes will air in December probably. Um, but, yeah,
0: We've got a lot of stuff cooking. And and, and by the way, I, I, I want to clarify something here. I keep talking about Light Diffuse as if it's a show you do as a solo by yourself. And, and you don't. You do it with, with two other really talented, fun guys.
1: Well, I do it with Charles Hood, who is my co-host. And he has a movie coming out on Hulu mm-hmm. in December. So watch that. It's part of the Blumhouse Into the Dark series where they do a movie based on the holiday of that month. Mm-hmm. So he got to do a really fun Christmas movie. Um... And uh, yeah, he's great. I've known him for years, and we're both uh, absolutely fanatical. Um, and we bring on guests. Mm-hmm. We try to bring on guests almost every week. So um, yeah, we've got some good stuff cooking.
0: Well, well again, that, that that's I'm definitely based on this book. I got to circle back on those those interviews you've done previously with Paul. You know, you were just talking about some of the great stories he has about Brad Bird, his work on Ghost Protocol. But but yeah, seriously, folks, go go. Get a copy of Paul's book, More to the Point. Go listen to Drew's Light the Fuse podcast. And and we also do some other podcasts here at Gmail Media. We got Disney Dish with Lentesto. We got Marvel Us Disney, uh, which I do with Aaron Adams. We just recorded a new version of that today. Uh, we've got Universal's Joint with Dustin Fuse. We've got uh, Looking at Lucasfilm with Dan Zaire. And and uh, I want that with Michelle Valladolid. We're going to go do our big Christmas shopping, uh, Christmas list show, which uh, more than likely will include the, uh, the Queens of Animation. And again, Paul's great book here. And I guess that's it for right now. So I'll tell you what, folks, if you could do Drew and I a favor, Uh, Head over to iTunes and not only rate and recommend, uh, you know, fine tuning, but also uh, light the fuse. And if you really, really, really like what we do here, um, you know, if you get out of the band camp and subscribe, that would be incredibly helpful. And I guess that's it for now, Drew. So uh, you and Katie up to anything fun for Thanksgiving or? No, we're just hanging
1: around. We're we're supposed to rain in L.A. I know it's shocking. So we're just going to sit around. She hasn't seen The Irishman yet, which is on netflix this week and it also has amazing de-aging visual effects courtesy of ilm mm-hmm. that are pretty seamless i'm curious as to what you'll think jim but okay. it's a wonderful film so
0: okay be sure to check it out all right well <laughs> undoubtedly we'll talk about we'll talk about that our, our next fine tuning which of course has nothing to do with animation but i, I think no. you you folks are used to that at this point so <laughs> um anyway thanks for listening and drew and i will be back soon